in an accident? And, uh, yes, she was in a very severe accident. I think it was in her um, matric year, or just the year after her matric year. She was a uh, national quad SA champ, and then she had a, uh, an accident and the quad fell on top of her. Sure. So she had a lot of um, spinal damage, and again, she was told that she'd never walk again. Mm. And um, I think sometimes that becomes, when we say these things to people, it, it becomes their belief system. Absolutely. They're so vulnerable. And 80% like... of your success is believing in that person and getting mm. them to believe in mm. themselves. Because <clears throat> it, it takes half, uh, it takes a lot of work, but it's, it's worth it. And at the end of the day, she also, she doesn't two-wheel cycle anymore, but she can ride a quad. And again, it's just reflexes. It's just reflexes, and it's rewiring the neurological pathways in your brain. If there's a, a, a physical damage which uh, was caused by a stroke or um, a physical trauma that has damaged a part of the brain, often you can't recover that the same kind of... Um, ability, but you can make sure that the parts around the damaged part of the brain takes over some of the function of that part of the brain, so that there's not a total loss mm. of function. So the, there is always an opportunity and we actually can't say what the body will do. If exactly. We, if, if we give, if basically what you're saying, if we're giving it the right stuff, yes. it's going to start repairing itself. Yes, we can't say what the body, body will do, but we shouldn't be saying no, that it sure. can't do anything. True. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be saying that something is impossible. Mm. Um, we need to change the way we um, approach people, who, uh, even if it's not physical damage, mm. emotional hurt. Oh, yeah. um, you know, you can. We're made up of mind, body, and spirit, and if the one is affected, the other two are affected. They don't stand apart. So just the same way that if like uh, the child that was in an accident, how it affected him emotionally and spiritually. Yes. So if one of those components yes. are... If you have uh, an emotional trauma, you're going to feel it in your body. An emotional trauma you're going to feel in your uh, calf muscles, sensitive calf muscles or your mm -hmm. lower back. It's true. And so it is amazing that we can use our bodies to address emotional difficulties. The same way we can use our um, thinking processes to overcome physical difficulties. We can use our physical body to address emotional difficulties and cognitive difficulties, hmm. which is quite phenomenal. So that person had a, a wonderful childhood, there was no issues, they played outside, they had plenty of movement. Now they land up in a trauma situation. Um, I'm thinking of the one guy that was in a motorbike accident and uh, we, we, we just went to visit him. Um, and he couldn't walk and whatever. What, what, was, what do you think uh, happens there? Do the, the, because now this is a survival situation. When we faced <clears throat> with a physical threat to our safety, your body shuts down certain processes that don't have anything to do with survival.
So all your thinking in your higher cognitive processes go out the door because your body's only concerned with survival. And often when there's a, a, a physical trauma in, in adults or a physical threat to your, your safety, imminent danger, the moral reflex will activate. And the moral reflex is the reflex that keeps us safe. Your fight or flight reflex. And when the moral reflex is activated, it has a whole big knock-on effect on your immune system. Because there's uh, imminent danger, so you have elevated levels of stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol go up. Mm. Then immunity goes down. Because your body's only concern is to get out of the situation. My goodness, yes. And so if it doesn't self-correct or integrate the moral reflex, <clears throat> we have exaggerated uh, um, responses. So say this bloke has been in the motorbike accident. So physically he's right, he goes, he carries on with his life. And one day he sits at his work and he's typing uh, and someone says, John, and he jumps out of his skin. Or someone drops a book or a door bangs and he has an exaggerated response to that. A fear response or a car backfires, then you know the moral reflex is active. And these are people who also who present with the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The one day they're sweet as pie, and then the next day, when you encounter them, they're um, a different kind of person. Overreactive, yes, and you think mm, you've been body snatched, because then they try and force their will down on people around them. Because if I can control your behaviour, there's safety in that. There's safety in knowing what you're going to do. So therefore, I can try and control your behavior. And we have that with kids as well. Kids who throw tantrums past the appropriate age of four, when they try and enforce their will on other people, because that feels them safe, makes them feel safe. Then your immunity uh, is lowered. So that's when we get eczema, uh, all the hay fevers, post-nasal drip, sinus, uh, food allergies. Ear infections. Ear infections. Eczema. Eczema is a big one, particularly in children. A fever blisters in adults, which is viral. And this because a reflex isn't mm. integrated. Mm. And in children also, um, a lot of the times they struggle, even in adults, they struggle to um, cut out background noise or white noise. Mm. So there's an, a hypersensitivity to birds whistling, or the sound of a TV, or the sound of airplanes going, all the noise you hear in the background that becomes very um, distracting. And um, sleep disturbances, night sweats, nightmares, all those kinds of things, that's the moral reflex. So it's an important one to integrate. And often we, you know, every person's reality is their own, and we don't, under, we don't, um, acknowledge the impact of emotional trauma on people as well. Because emotional trauma, trauma can have exactly the same effect. So would you say that the emotional trauma would be uh, like a trigger that will actually also then bring some of those reflexes back? Because if I feel emotionally unsafe, then my body's going to interpret it as well. Yes. Then would my system then call on the reflexes yes, to protect to me? protect you. Exactly. So is that why the person can maybe one day feel great and the next day on the way to work there was maybe somebody yes. blowing a horn too loud or 
whatever, and now they're finding themselves at work and they're on edge. Yes. And we're like, what's happened? You yes. know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And emotional trauma can, trauma can be anything because we interpret events differently. What is traumatic to me might not be traumatic to you. So you've always got to see it from through the eyes of the person that you're working with. And often people can experience a trauma when they were younger and it's never dealt with. So when they become older, the reflex keeps activating and they're stuck in this reflexive pattern or fight or flight. So every time they're faced with a stressor, they react as if it is a, a, a traumatic situation. And those are the patterns we break through integrating the reflexes and brain gym, getting rid of ineffective or inefficient patterns of behavior and replacing them with more effective patterns of behavior. Because the, the, the aim should never be to change anybody. It's just to give them the tools to respond differently in a same or similar situation. That's what it's about. So, um, if, the, if, if a pattern has been laid down over an extended period of time, like the, the child you were referring to that he was nine when he was in the accident, mm -hmm. you only got to him uh, and started you know, mm -hmm. working with him at 16. Yep. It means he has been in that state, if I may say yes. it, of stress, excessive stress for quite some time. Yes. So, one needs to then be patient. Oh, absolutely. Consistent. Everything with kindness. Whether you're dealing with a two-year-old child or a four-year-old child or a teenager or someone who's in their 40s or 50s or older, whether it's an emotional stressor, whether it's a physical stressor, everything with kindness. And we should always remember, action follows intent. If your intent is right, the right action is going to follow. Sure, that's quite important. Yes. It links back to what you said, it, it, what are we saying? So are we, if we're saying things and maybe somebody said something, we do not necessarily have to take that on. No, we, but we can stop and think. Is this the truth? Is this what is really going on? Or is this something that I choose not to accept? And that's a very difficult thing because we like, we like beating ourselves up over the head. We don't pat ourselves on the back and then somebody says something nasty to you and you think, there must be truth in that. Mm. When there probably is absolutely no truth in it. Mm. My personal experience and the stuff that I've worked with is, is specifically children that are dependent on their parents. They, they depend on their parents for survival. Mm. So if my mom says X, Y and Z, mm. uh, because I'm dependent on it, she must be right. Of course. And I must be wrong. Yes. Um, and, and that's the vulnerability um, that I've seen in children. Um, mm. Now, if a child is like you said, like this child that was um, in an accident, how much more vulnerable? Your survival is so much more dependent on your parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even though there was a huge um, uh, physical success with that boy um, from the get-go, what was important not to forget is the emotional um, damage and the cognitive damage 
to his thinking processes, to his feeling processes. Um, that also needs to be addressed. addressed because you can't, you can't just address one part of a person. You've got to address everything so that you work holistically. Because we started the discussion with the learning brain. To achieve that, we've got to look after the other parts. So we, we can't just um, look after the physical part, the reflexive parts, the habit-forming behaviours, or we can't just look after emotional intelligence and make sure, you know, emotionally they sound and happy. Those two have to go together. Because you go from your fear reflexive parts into your emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And if your emotional, emotional intelligence isn't sound, all the information you take in is distorted. Because the moment you bring emotion into a situation, it distorts reality. Think of the first time you were in love. Oh, absolutely. Oh, he walks on water. And everybody tells perfect. you he's going to break your heart. And oh, you think, oh, he's no, perfect. He's perfect. And then a couple of months down the line, when the emotion is removed, you look back and you think, what, what was wrong with me? What was I thinking? And oh. it's exactly the same. Children who have uh, subject fear, Okay, interesting. Children who have a subject mm. fear, the classic one is math, mathematics or science. Mm. If there's an emotion attached to that subject, the information they take in is distorted. It's that they're taking in the information incorrectly and not objectively. And then that's when faulty learning happens. It's... and. Faulty learning happens when you, you learn things and you don't make use of the most effective route to learning it. For example, 1 plus 1 is 2. But 1 plus 1 is also 3 minus 1. So the ineffective route to 1 plus 1 is 3 minus 1. Why do that? Mm. Well, you could just say that 1 plus 1 is 2. But if I have been told... And I believe that maths is difficult. Yes. And I can't do it. And I have failed. A number but where does that belief come from? Exactly. I've if I see you every day and I say to you, your name is Sonia. And I see you the next day and I say, your name is Sonia. And I see you the next day and I say, your name is Sonia. You're going to reach a point where you think, my name is, my Sonia, name is Sonia. Sonia. It must be. <laughs> exactly. So if I tell you every day, math is difficult. You can't do it. You can't sit still. Mm. You're having difficulty. If, us, if that's the message I give to you every day, these kids believe that that is part of them, becomes part of their identity. So if I tell you every day, it's like, now if I tell you every day your name is Sonia, why should you respond if I say your name is Heather? I don't need to respond. No, because it's not part of your belief system. Yes. So if I say to you every day, mm. math is difficult, if I try and teach you math, why are you going to respond? I've already told you you can't do it. Mm. So why? You've already told me I can't do it. You've already told me how difficult it is. So now you're asking me to do it. You're setting mm -hmm. me up for failure. Isn't it? Mm. So wouldn't I then, once again, say it's okay? Because they said oh, I'm, I'm going to fail. I said I'm not good at it. So why even put in extra effort? Because Exactly. And these are the kids... And even the adults, we need to literally retrain the way they think. And 
every little victory is a victory. How do you eat an elephant? Piece by piece. <laughs> yeah. Bite by bite. So it's so sad that you, you come across children and they say they're dyslexic. And then I think, then you ask them, why do you say that? And they say, because everybody tells them they're dyslexic. So that becomes an excuse and a cop-out. But now we've got to understand why. Mm. Why is it that people are saying you're dyslexic? Because again, the symptom we're seeing is they can't read or um, they skip words or they invert. Then again, back to reflexes. Mm. Check the doll's eye reflex, check the ATR, mm. and then suddenly they realize, but I can read. But they've been given the message over and over and exactly. over again. Your ADD, your ADHD, and the space cadets in the class. Mm. <laughs> what is going on? The space cadets in the class. Yeah. The kids who struggle to copy from the board. The one always sitting like this. Everything's an effort. That's the STNR reflex, mm. which is a reflex that keeps us up against gravity. Mm -hmm. And every time the child lifts their head, the whole spine goes. When they drop the head, the whole spine goes. So they end up like this. Absolutely. They're exhausted at the end of the day and they struggle to copy from the board. Then again... Because they've got to keep picking that heavy head up. Exactly. And the, the, the muscles are not supporting them. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, the STNR reflex, those are your fussy eaters. STNR fussy eaters. Yeah. Fussy eaters. <laughs> messy eaters. The peas and the rice is always... All over. All over. Um, these are kids who uh, choose to eat with their fingers. Because it's difficult enough, because the STNR reflex is a start of hand-eye coordination. Okay. That movement where the baby is pushing themselves up. Yes. So, so if that's not in, then they can't... Yes. It's difficult enough to get my hand to my mouth. Now when you put a spoon or a fork there, there's all sorts of calculations that have to happen. Yes, because otherwise you're going to land up here or here. Exactly. Or... So that's why they choose to eat with their fingers. And that's why the food is always all over that place. And the STNR reflex causes an, an, um, an oral defensiveness. So it's not as much the taste of the food, it's the texture of the food. So they'll eat a burger patty, but not vorse. But it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, so why? So it's about the texture, texture. of the food. Hmm. Yes. Very, very interesting, yeah. And in all the stuff that you do, any success stories on um, the biggest thing, uh, I was talking at a school, and you you know, you know, spoke about the fidgeting, spoke about the uh, daydreaming. Um, what, what I'm seeing is happening is parents are very focused on their child has to perform. So in this specific situation, um, the whole thing of not playing games, mm -hmm. because school is it's, it's not a game. We're not playing games. Um, what is your sort of feeling about? Because I just think play is fantastic. But how do you play feel? is the is the most important way we learn. Mm. We we're wanting to we're wanting our children to be too developed too soon. I I don't believe that children should be able to read by the time they go to grade one. They should be taught to read in grade one. Everything before that should be what we call incidental learning. Um, they learn by association and there are so many ways you can do it with a child. Instead of saying, 
bring me an apple, you can say bring me a red apple, or bring me a green apple, or bring me a yellow banana. And play, again, is, is vitally important also for emotional intelligence. And if we focus too early too soon on cognitive development, we have very smart kids who can't deal with anything, who are emotionally unintelligent. So they're, they're very smart, um, but they're not, um, they're less aware. Because emotional intelligence is the ability to act appropriately for a situation, in that situation. And also through play and preschool and even in school, um, we learn a lot of our social development and our social skills. Uh, if you think back, if you work with children, you will know today these two are best buddies and tomorrow they're arch enemies. Now they're playing that now. They're, so now that's my friend. <laughs> yeah. And then the next week they're best buddies again. And then the not, next day they're not your friend. I'm not your <laughs> friend anymore. And uh, this is how kids find out. Who's who in the picking order, in the family system, in a school system, in a church system. And that is very important. Mm. And they only get that through play. Mm. Like our generation used to play a lot. School, school, doctor, doctor. Yes, um, we, we, teacher. We read a lot more stories. It is very rare. And I work in a lot of schools, and I'm sure you do as well, where active time is taken out to read stories to children. And storytelling is the best way to develop emotional intelligence. The best way. It's because through storytelling, um, kids are given the opportunity to experience different emotions in a story. Mm. And that's how they safe. discover, exactly, in a safe situation. That's how they discover what is appropriate emotions in what situation. And if we don't, if we remove play and storytelling, then again, we have super smart kids who can't interact with each other, who are socially inept. And that's very important. Kids don't, I mean, we grew up listening to stories and listening to records because we grew up with our television. Now, now there's an over-focus on visual stimulus and an under-focus on auditory stimulus. And this is, this is why they don't hear. They hear, but they don't listen, hmm. which is important. So, um, basically, we have a, a, a generation that is sort of squashed into visual learning. Yes. So very, very, very interesting. Another thing that I um, encounter as well is the the thing that well, if a child can't read properly, what we need to do is we need to read more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. That child needs to read more and more and more in order for them to then uh, become better. Yes. So we've got a we've got a thinking that says if I do something many 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 times, um, you know it's going to get better somehow. Um, That's not always the case, because too much repetition can cause boredom. Mm -hmm. But what if they've got active reflex? You could be repeating exactly. Something. You repeat, and then you're repeating uh, again a faulty pattern of behaviour. And there's something to be said for repetitive. Um, for repetitive learning, but that learning happens before the age of four mm. or five. That's when that learning happens. That's when that learning should happen. The baby uh, 
tries to stand up and walk. They get up, they fall, they get up, they fall, they get up, they fall. And that is the, the bad part of the brain and the reflexive part of the brain yes. with repetitive patterns without thinking. Mm -hmm. You can't have rote learning when you need to employ your, mm. your cognition. So if I say, for example, that a child is struggling to learn, but now they have to keep doing this reading thing, um, there was a child in my class, she, she was fantastic at, at hiding stuff. You know, no, mm. I'm, I'm not saying in a bad way, but she was compensating. Yes. And then when we started working on the reflexes within the classroom, and there was little things, you know, because we we working with the child, little things were triggered, mm. and her behavior changed. She, like you said, the, the one minute she was this child that just complied with everything. Mm. Now we're starting to... Uh, expose her to some stuff and she was a totally different child. Yes. Um, I chatted to her mom and her mom actually just said how, what a hard time they're having. Um, and it was all to do with sensory stuff. Yes. So there's a lot of talk of, well, you know, your sensory uh, processing issues and whatever. Um, once again, things like brushing and whatever... You know, it's it's. Do you feel that that is the only way around this, or no? Again, um, once you start working on the reflexes, a reflex is a repetitive pattern of behaviour without thought or emotion. Mm. So once you start integrating the reflex, if that is what a child has been uh, doing, or even an adult has been doing repetitively, then you integrate that. Now remember what comes after the integration of reflexes and your, your, the start of your development is your emotional intelligence. 